Scripture reading is from the whole of Matthew chapter 10, because this chapter is one speech by Jesus. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, read it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me 
is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, John. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the way that you feed us through your word and strengthen us. And Lord, you have spoken these words to your disciples, and yet we see from what we have just heard, it has far-reaching effects that last even to hear to us today. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would please Um, Give us strength and discernment to understand what you would say to us today. And Lord, I pray that as we listen and follow you through all that you taught your disciples, that you would teach us by your spirit even now. And so our, our hope is in you, Lord Jesus. Our trust is in you. And we are looking to you to accomplish your will in this world through strengthening us to do all that you would have us to do. And so, Lord, our, our eyes are on you, and we ask you, open up our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, our, our attention is drawn here to Jesus, giving these instructions to the 12 apostles. Um, he's essentially sharing his authority to advance the kingdom uh, through these 12 apostles whom he has sent out. You remember last week we looked at the 12 and, um, and saw the, uh, the charge that Jesus gave them. And so that's what we're uh, going to keep doing uh, is keep following Jesus through um, the unfolding of Matthew's gospel. And Matthew has done a few things. If you have a copy of your scripture with me, just kind of quickly, let me just remind you what, what Matthew is doing. He's speaking and presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of God's ancient promise to Abraham to send a Messiah who would be a blessing to all of the earth. Uh, the, the part of the first beginning of Matthew is an unfolding of Jesus' genealogy and his lineage because Matthew is, is showing how Jesus is the one who has fulfilled that promise that was given to Abraham that one of his descendants would be uh, a Messiah who would then uh, come down through the line of, of those descendants through also the king of, of king of Israel, David. And Jesus is both a son of Abraham and a son of David. And so Matthew presents to us who Jesus is. He then also mentions several places at which fulfillment happened according to the birth narratives and all of those sorts of things. We then see chapter 3, the, the forerunner, the one who goes before the Messiah would, would come announcing his presence. John the Baptist was that fulfillment. We see Jesus uh, demonstrating authority over sin and over uh, Satan in the wilderness in chapter 4. Um, God's affirmation of him and his authority at his baptism. And then chapters 5 to 7 um, is the first uh, of five different speeches that Matthew presents in his gospel, which serves as a kind of 
skeletal structure for presenting the truths of, of all that Jesus taught. And we see his authority in his teaching. At the end of, of chapter 7, um, we, we find a phrase that gets repeated after each of these discourses. Um, we, we find something like what we see in verse 28, which when Jesus finished these sayings, and then he will offer a response to the crowd, uh, that becomes a pattern. And so the first teaching of Jesus is, math, is 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Then in chapters 8 and 9, we see Matthew giving us authority or pointing out Jesus's authority over um, disease, over demons, over storms, and over sin itself. Um, so G- Matthew presenting Jesus's authority, and then he, we get to this transition point at the end of chapter 8 and verse 9, when Jesus uh, is moved. Uh, we, we, we see his heart is, is pulled by looking out across the masses of people and seeing that they have no one to lead them. They are helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he says, and Jesus' heart is moved with compassion. And so as he sees people who are helpless and harassed and sheep without a shepherd, he then uh, invites his people to pray. And then now when we get to chapter 10, we see that the answer to the prayer starts and begins with the disciples, these 12 whom we, we looked at last week. And so um, what we're going to do is simply follow through this, this discourse of Jesus, this teaching of Jesus, and paragraph by paragraph, and, and Jesus' instruction that he, this is one unit. So that's why I had John read this entire chapter. And you know, Paul tells us to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture. So we, we constantly need to hear God's word. And Jesus said all of this in one go is the way that Matthew presents it. And so we, we needed to read it in one go. Uh, we won't spend all day picking apart the entire thing. We'll come back and look at it paragraph by paragraph. But um, today we see this beginning instruction when Jesus tells them where to go, what to take and what not to take with them. And then in the second paragraph, he warns them, um, you're going to suffer for this. Be prepared. Persecution is going to come. You're not going to escape being uh, harassed because of this this mission that I'm sending you on. And then the next paragraph, he says, but don't be afraid. Don't worry about the persecution that is coming. Uh, And then lastly, he says, "And, and what you're going to share about the kingdom will divide families. There will be a division that comes from those who embrace the gospel and those who reject it. And then he ended by summarizing in the final paragraph and saying, but there is great reward, so persevere. And so we'll take each one of those uh, different paragraphs as we move forward. And then you see that, that, par- that little summary statement at verse uh, 1 of chapter 11, when Jesus had finished these instructions, same thing that we've seen. And so uh, go back with me now to the beginning of chapter 10, and let's look at um, the first couple of verses of Jesus' instructions. So Jesus um, is speaking, and these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, and he said, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and then proclaim, saying, and he, he gives them what to say. Um, it's interesting because the first words, we looked at the 12, but he says, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Uh, does that mean Jesus does not care about the salvation of Gentiles? 
Hey, Jesus, what are you saying here? Is he unconcerned about the salvation of Gentiles? And, and this, I think, serves as a warning to us. When you study the Bible, you actually have to study. You have to pay attention to what is being shared to see where um, it falls and what are the context all around it. But this is one of those verses that you could easily sort of pluck out and it could be a social media post, right? Can you imagine the post? Um, you know, no Gentiles in heaven. It's according to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said it himself. Um, but yet when you, when you read something like that, that happens all the time. You, you realize little clips of scripture can get misapplied uh, daily as we, 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 people use God's word for any number of reasons. We have to be very discerning when you come to Scripture. And so there's a biblical principle of interpretation which says context is king. And if you want to rightly understand God's Word, you have to look at the context in which that Scripture comes. And there's particularly three areas of context to focus on. The first is really the context of the passage. Look at the immediate passage. What is being said in the passage both before and after and pay attention there. Secondly, you look at where does this fall in the whole scope of the book? Uh, and then lastly, where does this sit on the landscape of redemptive history? Because when you ask the question, is Jesus against the salvation of Gentiles? Well, if you look at the passage, it, the immediate context, all you have to do is read down a few verses. You'll come to verse 18 and you'll see that Jesus is, is concerned about witness to the Gentiles because he says in verse 18, you're going to bear witness to kings and Gentiles. Or, so part of his witness is to the Gentiles. So the, the meaning, what we understand when Jesus says, don't go to any of the towns of the Gentiles, it's not an, an, an abiding exclusive principle. Even in the context of the passage, we see Jesus intends for them to bear witness to the Gentiles. And then secondly, if you look at the context of the book, well, where have Gentiles appeared in Matthew so far? Have we seen any outreach to Gentiles in the whole book of Matthew? And we have. From the genealogy, which is the first verses of, of Matthew's gospel, we see three Gentile women who are presented as being in the actual lineage of Jesus himself. We saw Rahab, who lived in Jericho, which is one of the cities that were turned over to the nation of Israel. Rahab was there. Ruth was a Moabitess, right? David's great-grandmother. And then we see um, uh, Bathsheba, who is also mentioned when she's a Hittite. Right? So there are Gentiles throughout uh, even gene Jesus' genealogy. So Jesus is not against Gentiles. He's against his own family, if that were the case. And then also in chapter 4, verses 13 to 16, the ministry to Gentiles is part of what Matthew notes as a fulfillment of the mission of the Messiah. So look with me at chapter 4, 13. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, which is, and he's quoting now Isaiah chapter 9, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. There's Gentiles even included in this fulfillment of prophecy. The people dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light. So Gentiles are included even in the unfolding fulfillment of the ministry of Messiah. 
According to Isaiah chapter 9, which Isaiah wrote about 700 years or so before Jesus arrived. So the book itself teaches us that Gentiles are not excluded. And then when you think of where does the, the book of Matthew sit on the whole landscape of redemptive history, um, we, we're at the beginning of the ministry. We're unfolding here the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He has begun, but now he's expanding it. So we're at the beginning of the book. What happens when you get at the end of the book of Matthew? If you jump with me to Matthew 28, many of you may know this by heart, right? There is a sense in which this goes beyond just Gentiles. It's all nations. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking, which is an astonishing statement, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You remember, what is Matthew about? He's about showing Jesus' authority. From the beginning to the end, he is highlighting Jesus' authority. There's no one like him. Matthew can never get over the fact of who Jesus is. And because of that authority, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Right? So all nations are included in Jesus' intention to, to take his ministry through to the end of, of the age. And so, um, for, why do we highlight mission partners the fourth Sunday of every month? Because we got a 10-minute slot, time slot we need to fill? No, it's because we want you praying for mission partners who are trying to help us and we're partnering with to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We want you to know who we're praying for and have partnered with so that you'll actually go and pray for them. So I hope you pray for Tim and Sarah, uh, working among all kinds of peoples in the inner city of, of Pittsburgh. So um, this, is, this is an intentional plan. The, the gospel going to the Gentiles is part of what Jesus is saying. But, but here, for now, he's limiting it. And so you might also think, well, what about the Samaritans, right? He says the same thing about the Samaritans. Enter no town of the Samaritans. Does Jesus not care about the salvation of the Samaritans? Why is he excluding? Why are you telling them this, Jesus? And, and yet, who are the Samaritans? If you remember the Samaritans, the problem goes way back in, in the history of Israel. Samaria is located about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. And when the kingdom divided under Rehoboam, David's grandson, the 10 northern tribes and the two southern, when the kingdom split, Samaria became the capital of the rebellious tribes. And that also, in hand in hand, went with Jeroboam, who was the king of that, those broken off nations, who did not want the people of Israel to go south to Jerusalem to worship. So he set up calves and proclaimed them to be the gods in the northern regions of Israel. So he set up his own worship. So not only geographically are they separated uh, further from the people of Israel, the, the whole um, structure of corporate worship was altered. So worship these calves as your God. And he set up a temple on Mount Gerizim, um, also for a place of worship. And they had their own version of the Pentateuch um, in, in, and their own retelling of the history of Israel. And so that division... Was, was very strong early, but then after the exile, when the people um, were conquered by Assyria and Babylon, uh, the kings, the Assyrian kings, repopulated leaders and governors over the people of Samaria. 
and as a, to rule that portion. And the, 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 they were Gentiles, right? The, the Babylonian kings, the Assyrian kings were Gentile kings. And the rulers that they placed into the land intermarried with the, the Jews who remained in the land. And the result was that the Samaritans, since that was the capital city, that they became known as half-breeds and racially impure people because they had mixed both Jew and Gentile, and intermarried together. And so that tension was magnified incredibly highly because they were viewed as impure people, because the, God's law forbade intermarrying with unbelievers or with, with Gentiles. And so that deepened the tension strongly. But does that mean Jesus is unconcerned with the salvation of the Samaritans? When you get to John's gospel, John tells us that actually the first time Jesus revealed that he was the Messiah was to a Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. You remember that story? He said, she said, we know this Messiah is coming. And Jesus' response was, it's me. I'm he. First time he said that to anybody. He didn't say that to anybody else. And then he spends two days ministering among the Samaritans, pouring out heart and soul among them. And so is Jesus against the Samaritans? Here, we're at the beginning of Matthew. What happens at the end? We're sitting at a different side of the cross. And so when we see Jesus before he ascends into heaven, after his resurrection in Acts chapter 1, he intentionally tells his disciples to go to the Samaritans. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. This again is before Jesus has ascended into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and where? Samaria. He's, he particularly tells them, go preach the gospel in Samaria. So Jesus does have a heart for the Gentiles. He does have a heart for the Samaritans. But the question is, why is he telling them to avoid those areas now? And, and he says in verse 6, Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what we see is that Jesus first, as Messiah, comes to fulfill. What does the Messiah do? What Matthew has been telling us from the beginning. He comes to fulfill all of God's promises. Those promises were given to Israel. Jesus came first to fulfill the promises that God had given to Israel, which included the salvation of Gentiles. And so first, Jesus is charging the kingdom must come, begins in Jerusalem, and it spreads out. It starts with the Jews and then goes forward. Because remember, Jesus, what has is, what is provoked this passage? It's the compassion that Jesus has had as he looks out to his fellow Jews and he sees them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he's sending his disciples, we go to the Jews first. And then to the Gentiles. So this is the beginning. So don't get upset and think that no Gentiles are allowed in heaven. No Gentiles are welcomed in heaven. When you study the Bible, you have to be careful. Look at the passage in its immediate context. Look at the book, where it falls. And then look, where does this fall in the whole course of redemptive history? Because that blessing of the Messiah was proclaimed for all of the families of the earth, according to Genesis 12, God gave a promise to Abraham and he said, in you, in your descendants, all nations will be blessed. And so we see um, God does have plans for the inclusion of Gentiles in his ministry. And think back at the beginning of Matthew in chapter 8, Jesus went to the home of one of the Gentiles, a centurion. 
And he healed his servant. And he said something when that centurion, you remember what he said? Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. You just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. I'm unworthy for you to come into my house. So can you just speak a word and he'll be healed? And Jesus says this in Matthew 8, 10. Truly I tell you, with no one in all of Israel have I found such faith. He's talking about a Gentile. He says, Israel, nobody in Israel has a faith like this guy, right? I tell you, many from the east and from the west will come and recline at table with Abraham. Who's he talking about? Gentiles. He's talking about Gentiles who will come after having heard the gospel and will sit in the the marriage supper of the lamb and enjoy uh, the blessings of heaven with Abraham and Jacob and all of the other heroes of the, the Israelite faith. So yes, Jesus loves Gentiles. Yes, he's concerned about the Samaritans, but the mission starts with Jews. Why? Because they were God's first love. When God delivered Israel out of Egypt, he freed them and took them to Mount Sinai. Do you remember the Ten Commandments were spoken at Mount Sinai? You know the Ten Commandments are essentially God's wedding vows to the nation. That's when the relationship began. It was a proclamation of ultimate devotion. And that began at Mount Sinai. And so first love, God's first love is Israel. And so Jesus goes first to Israel and he gives them this charge. So this is the beginning. It's not the end of the story. That's the point. So stay tuned and come back. We're going to follow this through. But as we wrap up today, a few things to pay attention to. To summarize, and we're just going to hit a few things in this, this first paragraph because there's a lot more to, to consider. What is the main point that you should hear from these instructions that are given to Jesus' disciples? And I think it's this for us. Be polite proclaimers of the gospel, not pushy protagonists. Politely proclaim the gospel. Don't be pushy about it. And, and where do I see that? Verses 7 and then 11 to 14. Let me just read those again. Jesus says, Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's the, there's the proclaim. It's the word that's often translated as preach. So he says, Preach, proclaim the gospel is at hand. And then verse 11 to 14, Whatever town you or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house Greet it, and if the house is worthy, then let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, their words, there's again the proclaiming, the preaching, shake off the dust from your feet and leave that town. So go, preach the gospel. We've, we've covered so far several times what the gospel is. I won't go into that. But he says, proclaim the gospel, announce it, preach it, which preaching calls for a response. It presents truth, but then calls for a response to that truth. Preach what? The kingdom's come. And, and I encourage you, I love it that you are, are praying um, the kingdom is coming. God's kingdom has come among us. Keep praying that because there are changes and movements of God that continues to be affirmed as we see God at work among us. Sometimes we see it, we don't see it. Thanksgiving Eve, you're going to see it. I'm convinced as we gather together on Thanksgiving Eve to share what God has done, I invite every one of you to come because you'll get to hear some things that God has done in people's lives that you've not seen. And God is always at work. We just don't see it. 
And so often, I wish we had 14 weeks to stay together so that every one of you in this room could stand up and have an opportunity to share what God is doing in your lives. Because I know He's doing many things in many of your lives, and we just don't have time to share it. Well, Thanksgiving Eve is a little time for us to proclaim what God has done. And so we see this is what's happening. So Jesus says, you go from town to town, wherever you go, Look for who is worthy. And worthy here does not mean spiritual value or character. He's talking about who can house you, who's suitable to take care of you. Because he says, if when you find them, stay there until you depart. And it was customary. There's no, there's no motel sixes in, in this culture. There's no hotel or inns on every corner. And so hospitality was a necessity when you travel in order for people to stay safe. We see this many times in Scripture. When someone visits a town, they go to the town square, and those who were able would take care of them. It was expected in in every city. And Jesus says, stay there until you depart. So don't go hopping around from house to house or hobnobbing with the influential people after you figure out who they are. Just find a place and go and stay. And when you enter a house, greet it. There's where I see the politeness. Let your, your ministry be polite. Let your greetings rest upon the house. And if it's worthy, let your blessings abide. And you know that the Jews have a much more robust sense of blessing than we do. Because the, you think of the instances in Scripture when the father who's about to die would want to pronounce a blessing over his children. And so everybody gathers to be near when the end is approaching so that a blessing can be spoken over the people. That's, that's what's a we're talking about here. So there's this sense of which praying a prayer of blessing actually does something. And how many of us believe that God chooses to move through the prayers of his people? We are, we are pressed in this truth to us again and again to realize God really does choose to move when his people pray. Don't, prayer, don't let it be, I said this a couple weeks ago, don't let it be perfunctory. Don't just go through the motions, but really believe God, when, when we're praying, God will do something. Because that's what he's talking about here. When you pronounce a blessing, if, if people are willing to accept you, let it abide. Let your blessing abide. And if they reject you, so that's the politeness, if they reject you, then shake off the dust from your feet and move on. He says, just go somewhere else. Don't be pushy. Don't be pushy with the gospel. Present persuasively and politely. But then if somebody doesn't want to hear it, then move on. Shake off the dust of your feet. This comes from the ancient belief that uh, the land of the Gentiles were unclean. The Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish rabbis offering of commentary on the law, um, they believed that the, the physical land of the Gentiles was unclean. And so just to walk through Gentile land actually contaminated you. So when you got outside the city limits and you didn't want to be contaminated, you'd take shut the contaminated dust, blow it off, and be on your way. And so Jesus is saying, just move on. Just move on. And so what, what are we seeing in these instructions? Jesus has a plan for how he wants his mission to be carried out. And we need to figure out what it is and embrace it and be willing to live according to it. Because he grants his authority and says, go. And here's how I want you to go. So these next coming weeks, what we're going to explore as we look at these paragraphs, how are we to share the gospel? How are the disciples to share the gospel? And and we see a couple of, of pointers here today, politely. When you're at work, don't be pushy. 
You don't have to twist somebody's arm into believing in Jesus. You can't do it anyway. You can twist their arm, but they'll just run away from you. And the next time they see you coming, I'm going this way. Be polite in sharing the gospel. The, the power of God is given when we proclaim the truth. It's not us to, up to us to persuade people. It's up to the Spirit of God to move hearts, to welcome the truths of the gospel. So don't be pushy. Be polite. But don't be shy either. Let, look for opportunities and open doors to share the hope that is within you. If you at all hope in the gospel, look for ways of sharing it. And so we're going to look at how Jesus gives us his instructions So, uh, fellow Christians, as we're entrusted with a good gospel, it brings blessing. What we see is, let the blessing abide. So, share in ways that communicate blessing, not condemning burdensome heaviness. The gospel is weighty, yes, but there is goodness to be had. So, I want to invite you this week, one, your, your homework. What is good, do you personally see is good about the gospel? How has the gospel blessed you? Figure that out. Be able to answer in one or two or three ways. Here's how I've been blessed by the gospel. And then this week, simply look for for an opportunity to share that. Whether that be with your coworkers or family members, I don't know, make a a post. It works sometimes, but use the right context. But just look for an opportunity to share. How have you been blessed by the gospel? And let the peace of that flow through you. Don't be pushy. Be polite for the sake of the name of Jesus. So this is where we'll we'll just conclude for now. But let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, your word is good. The gospel is good. The truth that God created this world and sent his son, you, Lord Jesus, in order to die, in order to atone for sins. Let forgiveness come to those in this room who need forgiveness, Lord. Let salvation come by believing that you actually died, you bodily rose from the dead, and you now reign in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, let our trust be in you, and I pray, Lord Jesus, the goodness of the gospel would come to us very vividly so that we would have opportunities this week to share. And Lord, let let thanksgiving mark all that we do because if without you, Lord Jesus, none of us would be saved. Salvation would be impossible without you. And so let us share the reasons for which the gospel is good and the reasons for which we have to offer thanksgiving. And Lord Jesus, we pray in your sweet name. Amen.